0: Welcome to the Revolution Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. This is Brian Oddland once again for Revolution. We are starting a little late. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's whatever. Um, as I was telling Curtis, who's here, or the one and only Curtis, that uh, 94 is shut down, uh, which is our main freeway going east and west in the Twin Cities, and I have no idea why it's shut down. So all that traffic that was coming in to downtown minneapolis where we're kind of at we're just south of downtown uh yeah was shut down so we had to take side streets and was supposed to take like a 10 minute drive ended up taking like a half hour to get in here so we're sorry for that inconvenience of being a little late but hey we're here we're here anyway um as always amanda is going to be um off to my left uh manning the uh live feed so any questions comments throughout the way please please let her know and we will get to that um yeah anyway i hope everyone had a good weekend a good um good time uh i was a little under the weather yesterday because it, was, it wasn't it was hot or anything, but Friday I hung out with a professor that, a friend of mine that I haven't seen. And I mean, I've talked to him along a lot, but haven't hung out with him for outside of school for like 20 years. So it was really good to see him and his family. Yesterday we did a housewarming party from our old neighbors that moved into a house. So that was fun. And then I had my cousin's kid graduated high school. So we had an event for them yesterday, so I'm actually tired, because I've pretty much, since I've been out of work on Friday, I've been on the go, and so today, today's my Sabbath, I guess, after this. I'm just going to go home and enjoy some lunch, and Amanda works, and I'm just going to hang out and have a good time. Um, what else am I going to say? Uh, today... As I've always said, it's beautiful weather here. It's going to be a little warm, but it is what it is. So wherever you're watching from, um, hopefully you can go outside and enjoy the weather. And you can enjoy wherever you're at, whether it's raining, snowing. I don't know. Hopefully it's not snowing anywhere. Raining, snowy, cloudy, you know, whatever. Hope everything will be fine from wherever you're at. Um, Oh. I guess I wanted to say, with some opening comments, that um, I was interviewed for a podcast last last Tuesday, I believe. Um, it's the podcast is called Reconstruction Calls. Um, the guy was interested um, on my doubt talk that I gave last week about how we're all uh, how about we all doubt. Um, so that should be coming out Tuesday of this week. So if you're watching this live, it'll be Tuesday. I'll I don't know, I'll maybe put links up on Revolution um or else I can if you follow me on my personal Instagram. So we just kinda went in and talked about doubt and other things. It's about a half hour conversation. So I should have two uh two interviews on other podcasts that I did coming out this week. So I'm pretty excited about that. I was excited about the conversations and, yeah, so if you hear a little child in here in the, making some noise, it's my daughter. Yeah, it's Curtis. It's Curtis playing with dinosaurs. No, but uh, my daughter is playing with some toys. You know, this is I would always hear from other churches. When you hear kids talking, kids playing, it's, it's part of the church, and I don't ever want it to sound like... Ava can't be a part of the church because she's part of Revolution, just like Curtis or Amanda or Vicki or whoever um, is a part of it. So yeah, kind of that housekeeping out of the way. So last week's talk that I gave was on doubt and how a lot of us have been told in our lives how doubt is always a negative when it comes to faith, that doubt is always something that... Um, is just always supposed to be shied away from. Doubt is something that's going to hinder you from your faith. And, you know, I, I actually had a really good conversation later on that, that week with my mom about it. I actually, when I met this professor friend of mine, me and his wife talked about, talked about doubt too. So it was it was this conversation that kept growing out of just the conversation that I had. And what I'm going to talk about today though too, and Curtis brought up a good idea of just maybe sticking within James for a while. Kind of doing like a sermon series on that. Um, because James, James is one of those very uh, going all the way back to the Reformation, going all the way back to Martin Luther. Uh, Luther wanted to get James kicked out of the canon of scripture because he disagreed with it so much because and I don't, I don't know why he disagreed with it so much because I think James is one of those books in the Bible that forces us to kind of come to terms with our faith. It forces us to say that if you're this follower of Jesus, the follower of the way that you need to um, you, you, you can't just say you're a Christian and then just not Act it out, not mimic these teachings of Jesus. Out that you that you have to kind of put, you know, works with your faith. You can't, you know. So if if I was like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and then I'm just a scuzzy person to every single person, and I belittle them and I treat them terribly, you know, James is the kind of person who says this in scripture. Like, yeah, but your character makes a difference. Your character is something that that people are gonna look at. And I mean, in my own life, and anybody who's listening or watching or is here, we can attest to that too. Is like, you know, you might have family members, co workers, a friend who who might be like, hey, you know, this person says that they're a Christian, but they're just vile people. You know, they're constantly berating me, constantly belittling me, constantly, you know, making fun of other people, so on and so forth. And James, and James really makes it. And throughout this short, short chapter, I think it's only three or four chapters, or this book is only three or four chapters. But I think he lays out where, you know, you you have to have some sort of. Uh, I'm not going to say the word witness because I don't like that. You got to have some sort of uh, outward showing of a of a, an appearance, and uh, so often I think in the church, whether you're conservative, liberal, anywhere in between we've really failed to look at that, you know. Um, and I can say I've grown up in the church my whole life, and I very, very rarely have heard a sermon, uh, Bible study, anything off of, you know, the, uh, this book of James, because it's so small, it's so quick, but I think in this small book that you're going to see as we dig through this here in the next couple weeks, you're going to see how James might say something like about doubt, like he did in the beginning of chapter one. And then what we're going to focus on is the end of chapter one, how he kind of, uh, um, what's the word, uh, transitions in a different way to that. And it's quite interesting. So kind of just piggy piggybacking um, off last week a little bit, you know, James starts out last week talking about in the beginning of chapter one, um, talking about your faith and you know in, in the Bible it always does like chapters where it talks about um, like little headlines or little snippets of what this story or chapter is going to be about so the beginning of chapter one talks more about testing your faith and kind of just going over last week I'll just read the two verses again but um, it was James chapter 1 verses five through five through seven. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. And as I've said, I I don't like that kind of negative understanding of doubt. And a lot of us, you know, a lot of the comments we got last week were people talking about, I um, thought it was refreshing to hear someone as myself talk about doubt and talking about it in a way of, you know, so throughout the Bible you see James here, you see Jesus, you see other people in the Bible, you know, dealing with their faith but having an extreme amount of doubt and that the Bible, in a lot of ways, I couldn't find in all my research, a lot of parts where Doubt was looked upon in a, in a ne- uh, in a positive way. It was always looked upon in a negative way. So you have all that together, and but then you read throughout James, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna obviously go um, I'm not obviously gonna go verse by verse in this, but just kind of take portions out what I think is important. So you 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 transition that from doubt like we saw and heard last week in the beginning of James to kind of ending chapter one and we alluded to this last week, Curtis brought up so I thank you for kinda of putting that seed in my head, Curtis, that, that we should go into this. But um, and if this talk isn't super long today, it's it is what it is. It's summer. I know we're all enjoying being outside and being with family and friends and doing things now that the pandemic's kind of on the on the decrease So I'll try to make it sweet, short and sweet and to the point. But James is, he finishes up um, the end of chapter 1, and it's called, this part of this headline is called Hearing and Doing the Word. But I'm going to focus on uh, verses 26 through 27 for today. If anyone thinks they are religious and does not brittle their tongue but deceives their heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit the orphans, the widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me read that again. So if anyone thinks they are religious and does not brittle their tongue, but deceives their heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's a very big tran- uh, contrast from beginning of chapter 1, and you can see with anybody who writes, they always want to end a chapter on like a strong note, right? Like when you read your favorite novel, you read your favorite or watch your favorite tv show they always end on like this cliffhanger they always end on this like okay now we want to make you watch it but tune in next week and it's kind of like i feel like this is kind of how this is here uh ending chapter one where they talk about okay here's doubt you shouldn't be like this. But then at the end of chapter 1, they're like, you really want to, to be this person who is hearing and doing this. I'm going to end it on chapter 1, and this is what it really means to have this faith. And so like I said, like the headline of this particular portion of Scripture is hearing and doing the Word. And so what James just ends there is like, if you say that you're religious, say so if you say that you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way, literally James' is ending, this portion of the scripture, is saying you need to brittle your tongue. And if you don't, kind of going back to your works, it's great that you have faith. But if your faith doesn't put you into being a good person, then your faith is worthless. Not just to yourself, but to others and especially towards God. But and it says if your religion is undefiled before God. Th- and really what God wants and I, and I tell people all the time if the really the the main commandment that God gives us it's not the 10 commandments. It's not, you know, believing in the right doc- doctrine or the right dogma or going to church all the time. It's literally loving others as you love yourself and it's it's loving others and when i say your neighbor people are like oh like just my next door neighbor or the person down the street no your neighbor is anyone that's not you anyone that's not you anyone you come in contact with on a daily basis or not even a daily basis you see someone at the store you see someone at the lake you see someone you know out out just on the street that's your neighbor so true faith is taking taking these principles and literally is taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And it would be interesting, and maybe I'll do this sometime this late, this year, is actually looking in the scripture at how many times Jesus, Peter, or Paul, or the other people who've written the epistles or the books of the Bible, and say how many times do they talk about the widow, the orphan, and the poor. So, um, Amanda's going to put in the show notes, and she just did brittle... Br- brittle, bridle. I don't know why I say brittle, bridle. So bridle is a word. What you might be like, what the heck does that mean? Well, there's other, there's other definitions. I think one that I looked up today out of Dictionary.com was like the bridle of the horse. You know, like the thing that goes in its mouth when you're riding on it. That's not what we're talking about. But bridle is anything that restrains or curbs. And so when you read that, so if anyone thinks they are religious and does not restrain or curb their tongue, deceives their heart. This, per, this person's religion is worthless. You just Obviously, you just take out religion and put faith, Christianity, whatever you want to say. So literally, James is saying you need to restrain your tongue. You need to curb your tongue. And I could see why someone like Luther had such a fundamental problem with this. Martin Luther did a lot of great things for Christianity, for Christendom. He is a very polarizing character. I remember studying him and having to read a lot about him in seminary. And But one thing we forget about Luther, and we forget about a lot of people, is we're all human beings, we all have... Uh, Fallible, negative things about us uh, and Luther was a person who literally got drunk almost every day the guy loved his beer he was a big boy but not just that but he he I mean he was this anti-Semite he hated Jews which is funny because he's teaching people about Jesus and Jesus was a Jew so try to try to make that make sense but the thing with Luther, is I think it was more about, okay, I'm, I'm trying to give you this proper theology, this proper doctrine. He was a Catholic pre or, you know, he was Catholic. He had issues about how evil the Catholic Church was at the time because they were, look it up in church history, the indulgences. Uh, the Catholic Church had way too much power. And I don't think in any way whatsoever Luther tried to start a denomination he didn't try to do any of that i think what Luther tried to do was make sense of christianity and jesus in his particular time and place in the, his you know in the history of what we see in the world now so in like the 1500 late 1400s and the 1500s what Luther was trying to do but you could see how he himself didn't like james Because James is saying you cannot have faith without doing works. Like that's just impossible to do. You can't say that you're a follower of Jesus or a Christian and not live your act your faith out without actions. You know. And I love Saint Francis of Assisi. His story is probably one of my favorite persons within Christian antiquity. Because, and he, you know, this was. I think he was. Couple hundred years before Luther, if I'm not mistaken, and literally Assisi said, People should tell that you're a Christian, people should tell that you love Jesus by not using any words. You should only use words necessary, you should only preach out of the Bible when necessary. Because if you're a true believer in Jesus, you should have. You should have the... People should just tell. People should look at me or Amanda or Curtis or whoever and they're like, hey, you believe in this Jesus person because you're loving, you're caring, you're taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care. You know, you have all these, you know, you're ordained, you're not ordained, you're you're a priest, you're not a priest. It's not about that. It's about taking these teachings and it's taking this message of Jesus and mimicking them And then going out into the world and doing what we're supposed to do. So, with that, you could see how Martin Luther, and not just Luther, but you had a lot of church reformers, you had a lot of people, um, Calvin, I would say. I would say a lot of these reformers of Christianity in their context, even probably some, I would say, like American reformers, like Wesley, like the Wesley brothers, and other ministers that, ministers and theologians that would come and I feel like a lot of them looking at what they've done in their, in their spaces you know in their countries and in their context you look at them and I feel like a lot of them got these teachings of Jesus got this message of Jesus and they understood it but when they put it into day to day practice they sucked they were really bad at it and I think they were bad at it because they're 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 taking things like in James or in the Gospels, even things from the Old Testament, and like they're understanding it. But when it comes to like that faith aspect, when it that faith becomes manifest and it becomes real, they it, it like fell on the floor. It like fell flat because they weren't taking their 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 faith and making it into works. And I know Jay Jay Baker has preached a lot on this too, uh, on like, maybe not necessarily all to James, but you've heard him talk, and I know he's influenced me a lot, in saying like how we have our faith and however that looks, but it's one thing to have faith, but we have to do something with it. We have to go out into our world, wherever that is, and do stuff. And And one thing, we haven't said this publicly here, on the live stream, But we've talked kind of behind closed doors sometimes after we're done here or just through text conversations. But we're really trying to do here at Revolution, like this is Pride Month um, in America. June is always Pride Month. And we're like, well, I don't know if they're going to have the, the Pride Parade and stuff. But maybe we should go down to the Pride Festival wearing our shirts so that we have Revolution Church or handing out our flyers. And telling people that they're loved, that they're accepted. It's one thing to just have a a, a church have a banner and say, Oh, all are welcome. All are welcome. All are accepted. That's great. And people will understand that. But at the same time, they're like, You're telling me I have to come into your church, into your community, to tell me that I'm valid. Why aren't you coming to me? In my situation and in my life telling me so we're, we're doing that i've said we're also probably going to be working on um having a concert here which is something which is something later on down the road maybe late summer early fall is just to give back into our community give back to the music scene that i know curtis and i are very passionate about is the music scene and 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 there's going to be no message there there's i'm not going to get up on stage and give a talk Is just going to be opening up into our communities. We've talked about teaming up with our our friend, my friend Josh, who I do Sacred Collective with, and he sometimes comes here. He works at a nonprofit food shelf. How can we maybe come in and volunteer our time to not just help what he does? And that's not even a religious thing that he does. But we're trying to do this because I think in our community we're trying to make this faith come alive to us. You know, where it says here in, in, at the end of chapter 1 of James is like true faith, true true religious faith, so true Christian faith. It's not knowing doctrine. It's not knowing dogma. It's not doing all those things. But it is taking this faith in Jesus and, and making it become manifest, making it become real. And I... I'm so dumbfounded sometimes growing up in the church as long as I have grown up in the church and you hear sermons about this or you hear sermons about how subversive and how amazing and how transformative Jesus is, but then when it comes to our own day-to-day life, We don't do it. We're just like, oh, I'm too busy. I got my kids to take care of. Or, you know, I had a long work week and I just want to stay home and relax. And I'm not saying those things are wrong or, you know, you need to listen to your own body and your own mental, you know, capability. But I feel like so often us, we just feel like Americans are so good at excuses. We always put our excuses before everything else. And we're like, oh, uh... I'll do it next week or I'll I'll, I'll let someone else do it or, or this church is doing a good job at that, you know, whatever. And then I just sit back and I hate the word conviction, but the word conviction does make sense here is you get, uh, it's almost like in a way I get convicted because I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And I sometimes, I think we read that like the widow, the orphan, and the poor and we're like, what well, does that mean I just have to work at, like, a homeless, homeless shelter? Do I have to, like, adopt children? Do I have to do No, that's not necessarily saying that. What it's doing and what it's saying is everyone that that is your neighbor, anyone that is in need, anyone that needs support, support them. We, we, like, I, before we started recording, I was telling Curtis that our main freeway is shut down today for whatever reason maybe the the road buckled somewhere and they have to fix it but so we had to take this side street called Franklin Avenue which I used to take all the time to come down here to go to school and I saw uh, all like underneath the overpass or overpasses I would just see these like homeless encampments and I would see in you know there's They've made it their own. They have like grills. They have food. They have their tents. They're living in, and my heart just aches because no one should have to live like that, you know. And I don't know if there's you know mental illness that these people are dealing with or um, alcoholism or drug addiction that, that could play a role. But if, I feel like if you're a Christian, someone of faith, and this doesn't pull on your heartstrings, you don't even have to be religious for it to pull on your heartstrings. But if you are a Christian and that doesn't pull on your heartstrings and you're not like, how can I help? How can I bring hope to someone? And I, and this is my hot take. When you bring hope to someone, it doesn't have to be the message of Jesus. It can be we're human beings all taking care of one another. And I've always said at Revolution, if you like, like Revolution and you like the faith component, great. I accept that. I, I want you to be a part of it. And even if you... Attend here, or you're affiliated with Revolution. You also know that whether you're queer, agnostic, atheist, you're welcome here because a lot of these teachings aren't necessarily religious based. They're based on just being a good human being. And if feel like people forget that, like, and I tell, I, I had some friends that I talked to this week who've walked away from their faith, and they've blamed it on the church. They've not necessarily blame it on the church, but hold—you know, everyone's different in their story and in their journey. But I keep coming back to why I can't give up on Jesus is because there's a reason Jesus and Jesus's teachings have tr- transcended time, geographical r- regions. It's—it's it's not with one race or gender or people group. It's everyone, and the the story of Jesus is so transformative. And I think that is why, because people are sitting down, reading scripture, looking at these teachings of Jesus, and they're like, there's something to it. There's absolutely something to it. We might not fully understand it, and I just had a conversation, this is going to go a little off base, but I've said to people, younger generations, myself included, I'm an elder millennial, but the millennials, Gen Z, and probably kids that are being born now, maybe even my daughter's age... Because she's definitely not a Gen Z. But we're we're allergic to church. We're allergic to getting up every Sunday or whenever your service is. And we're, why do I have to get up every Sunday? And yes, I appreciate people tuning in here on Sunday. But this is a very toned down, this is a very turned down um, church service. And I don't even like saying church. I like saying a small group, uh, whatever you want to say it. But one thing, like I had said to some of my friends, was that we're allergic to the church because, in going back to Gandhi, and I think I said this last week or the week before, is we, like Gandhi said, I don't have a problem with your Jesus, with your God. I have a problem with the Christians that serve serve this god. And I think that's a very valid critique and it's been in my head, it's been in the orbit of all of our minds who have we've grown up in the church and it's a good critique because it's pretty much saying a lot of what James is saying if you say that you are a follower of God, a follower of Jesus and you're not living these teachings out then you don't have faith. I'm sorry. And I, I, and I think what's so funny is when people get baptized, I'm not against baptism at all, but when people get baptized, it's like, well, and there's some traditions, even in Christianity, it's like, well, once you get baptized, that's it, that's all you need to get into heaven, and I can live my life any which way and or but. And in a lot of traditions, it's like you get immersed, you get sprinkled, you do whatever, and it is what it is. And... I just have a fundamental problem with that because it's like you're saying that if you get baptized and that you do that, that you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to work on your relationship. You don't have to struggle and and dig into it. Then you're just like, I can act however I want, say whatever I want, do whatever I want. And I think the scripture is quite clear in saying, no, this is a constant everyday thing that you have to, whether it's you're, you're on your way to work, whether you're going out to eat with your family, whether you're uh, reading in the park, whatever. It, it's, you constantly have to have this mindset of like, how can I help my neighbor? If my faith is important to myself, great, perfect, great. But how is it, can I do this? And one thing I think that is absolutely toxic Within Christianity, is this whole idea of personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That was hit into my head so many times, so many times. And because it was saying, oh, your faith is the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. Your relationship with Jesus is going to get you to heaven. It's not how your mom believes, or your dad believes, or your grandma and grandpa, or your auntie and uncle, but. The Scripture plays it out quite well that you should have this personal component, but your faith is a communal thing. We're in it together. You know, I I always have conversations with Amanda. I'll always have conversations with my best friend, Scotty, and, and, and maybe some in-laws and her family. And I, I'm not saying it because I want to just cause divisiveness or do whatever, But it's because I I look at my faith as, like, there's this personal component that is mine. However, I'm in this together. Like, if someone says, yeah, I believe in the teachings of Jesus. I want to live that way. Jesus means A, B, or C to me. Great. But there's a huge communal aspect to it that I think at church we get wrong. And somebody might say, oh, well, I'm part of revolution, or I'm part of First Baptist, or I'm part of... You know, whatever UCC, you know, list goes on, put your church in there. And so often we go to church and we're there, we sing our songs and do our hymns, we take the Eucharist, we might grab a bite to eat. That's not the communalness or the community that is described in Scripture. What's described in Scripture is like if Curtis, if you're hurting, I need to come next to you and say, hey, hey, buddy, what's going on? What's, what's wrong? And I'll try to, if you're, it's financial, I'm here for you. I'm going to try to help you as much as I can. You need food. Great. Amanda lost her job. You, you didn't. I'm just using this as an example. Like, Amanda lost her job. And she comes to us and says, hey, I lost my job. Uh, we're, we're tight on money. Can someone spare us 40 bucks so we can get groceries or pay this bill? That is what being communal is about. It's, it's meeting the needs of our neighbors. And it's meeting the needs of people around us. But so often in the church, we've become so insular where it's like, yeah, that person is a member of my church or that person is a friend of the church, but I don't really know you. Yeah, we're here worshiping the same God, but you kind of are just like, mm, well, I work hard for my – it's that like American exceptionalism. I worked hard for my money. I have worked hard to get where I'm at, and I'm not going to give my money away to whoever, even though it's someone in your own community that's saying I need help. So if we're having such a hard time doing that within the church – what what makes us think that we can go out into the community and help? We should, we need to, it's a must, but we don't do it. And I, I've always just scratched my head, and I'm guilty of that too. I'm not going to, I don't want it to sound like I'm this perfect person. No, I'm I'm talking to myself at the same time. Uh, kind of wrapping it up, because I think this is kind of, I don't want to say the same thing over and over, trying to prove a point. I'm just trying to prove this point. However, there are a lot of communities currently in, in America, I think, that are doing a good job. Some people might agree with me. Some people might disagree with me. That's fine. And this isn't necessarily all religious, all these groups I'm gonna say they're not necessarily all religious first one I want to bring up is black lives matter and why I think black lives matter is doing a great job and I feel like a lot of people who who watch us or who listen to us will say because what black lives matter is doing after a number of years ago it was a woman who I don't know if she lost her son to uh, uh, uh her son or daughter that got killed but she she was sick and tired of having unarmed black young men and women getting killed so she started this thing called black lives matter this movement is a movement and there's some religious components to it there's not religious components to it and I've actually heard her talk on a podcast I've heard other people like there's little there's like branches in every other I think there's a branch in every state there's a branch in Montana there's a branch in in Minnesota there's a branch in South Dakota and obviously there's branches all over but what they're trying to do is they're trying to hold people accountable. They're trying to hold communities of color accountable. They're trying to hold governments accountable. Not just our national government, but our local municipalities, our local mayors and governors and and all that. And they're trying to say, what can we do? And once again, I can't tell you how many times I drive around the Twin Cities and you'll see a church that will have a sign Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. My UCC church that I'm quasi a part of they have that. But it's like, what are you doing? It's one thing to say you support them. It's another thing to, to work with them. It's another thing to go out into the community. It's another thing to go to a black church and say, we're here to learn from you. We're here as an ally. How do we help you? So that's huge. That's one example. Um, another thing... Uh, that people don't realize maybe even nationally it might not be known or even internationally um, the pipeline three and a little bit and Curtis can maybe keep me accountable if I get it wrong but pipeline three and there's a huge thing where especially in a, in Minnesota where we're trying to like my place where I work I work at a pretty progressive liberal school uh, a, a university um, we, we're all of uh, you know against it as well, but pipeline three is a pipeline that an oil company um, wants to build because America gets a lot of our oil, we even though we have a ton of oil in America, we get it from other countries. And so they want to build this pipeline starting in Canada and make it go literally all through like the middle part of our country. So into the Dakotas, into Minnesota, all the way down to the Gulf. So we can get our oil at a cheaper rate or whatever. And why a lot of people are against it, including myself, is because a lot of where the pipelines are, are on native land. And, and it's these... And it's one thing, and well, I mean, let's be honest, this whole country is Native land. You know, we were the colonizers, we were the white devils that came in, whatever you want to call us. But instead of giving reparations, instead of getting, giving sitting down with Native leaders and the Native tribes and saying, can we build this, we're just like, yeah, we're Americans, we're capitalistic oligarchs, we're going to come in and build this so there are a lot of churches a lot of denominations one thing i'm proud of with the ucc and the minnesota council of churches is they're sending native pastors they're sending um people from these these um native tribes they're sending clergy up there to say stop doing this stop building this oil pipeline here there's other ways we can get oil and that, that is being, that is having the teachings of Jesus. That's mimicking the teachings of Jesus because I feel like if Jesus was here in this context right now, he would be here. He would be here saying, he would be up with them at the pipeline and saying, stop it. Stop doing this. You're, because we, and, and you even have our own governor of our state being like, well, yeah, I'm for it because look at all the jobs it's going to bring. You know, people are going to be building this pipeline and thousands and thousands of man hours of people building it and they're going to support their family. Yes, that that part is true. However, they're displacing holy sites for Native people just so they can make more money, just so America can make more money and we can send our people in and having a job. But I would say this to them on that. Once you build that pipeline and that work is done, those jobs are going to disappear. That's what a lot of construction businesses are. You you don't constantly keep building that building. Once that road or building or pipeline is done, then it's done. But it's still on that native land. And those native people will say, this is our holy spot. This is our our relics. This this, this is our religion. But we kind of come in and we're like, meh, we're going to do it anyway. So that's an example of how we need to step up and say, stop displacing these people, stop, stop doing this. And this goes right back into James at the end of James, is, if you have this faith and you're not actively doing something out there and to calling it out and, and living it and saying what you need to do. And your faith is you're just like I like what Paul says, your faith is like a gonging symbol. You're just hitting this gong and it's making this noise and it's disruptive and it's helping no one, not even yourself. Another one, and this person I like him, some people within Christianity because he he doesn't he's maybe not as woke as some people, is Shane Claiborne. And Shane Claiborne lives in the rough part of Philly, North Philly. He's a southern boy grew up you know down south and i think tennessee but him and his wife have purposely their whole life they've moved into north philly they, they're in with their people and i think it's just called like the third way and what they're trying to do is is and what's so amazing to me about them is they build their own they build their own stuff they build their houses they plant their gardens, they have community gardens, they live in community. They they buy these they build their buildings or they rent buildings out and it's this communal aspect. It's this communal way of living. And I've always been obsessed with what he's done because and why I think a lot of people don't like him is they're like, Oh well I uh, I don't like what he says about this or I don't like what he says about this or he's not doing enough but damn it, he's doing more than most of us will ever do. And just think about it. This guy's a seminary-trained person. He's written some books. Yes, that's great. But instead of just, in he he could speak all over the country. He could have some cushy church consulting job, or he could just be sitting in an ivory tower teaching at a college. And I'm not saying all those things are bad, but what he says is, I'm taking these words from Jesus. I'm taking these things from, out of scripture, what Jesus says is taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And he was like, I'm going to move to Philly. And I am going to live amongst my neighbors. I'm going to live amongst complete strangers. And we're going to welcome them in. We're going to let them eat our food. We're going to, and I think if I'm not mistaken, like, everyone who works, like, has a job. You, you have money that is put into this, you put your money in this communal I don't know, like, fund, and you take care of each other. It's like, oh, my kid got sick. Okay, well, let's take money and protect, you know, take care of them. Oh, like, I might get evicted from my apartment because I'm behind on my rent. Let's go to this fund and do that. And how amazing is that? And I think that is what, part of what Scripture calls us out to do is we're in this together. And I could go on and on. There's other groups and there's other organizations that do that. But when I was coming up with this talk... I was like, this, this is what we need to hear. And I think it's so amazing that you have, just in one chapter, you have, what I talked about last week, is you had James talking about doubt, how you shouldn't have doubt when you have faith and this and that. But he ends, I think he redeems himself at the end of chapter one and is pretty much like, yeah, okay, I said this about doubt, but true faith, true Christianity, true following of Jesus is going out of our comfort zones, going out of what we're comfortable doing and living with our, living with our neighbors, living with our complete strangers. It, not just that, but it's like, you know, if you feel, uh, you, that you know you want to stop by this homeless encampment and just give out food, or if you have an extra twenty bucks and you want to give it to someone. And I'm not saying we're here and we're gonna change the whole world at one time, but I, I I'm a firm believer that one act of kindness, one act of charity, one act of doing what you know you're supposed to do, could have a ripple effect on on that. And I think scripture is very and as the older I get in my own faith and the older I get in my own understanding of scripture and of the Bible, is it's less about dogma. It's less about the right way to believe. And there's this thing, and I, my old professor, Tim, had said this, there's, we're obsessed with orthodoxy, which is right belief, but we need it. What's more important than orthodoxy is orthopraxy. And orthopraxy is right living. And people will say, well, if you don't have right orthodoxy, you can't have orthopraxy, and I think that's bullshit. Because if you, nowhere in the Bible it says, you have to believe in the premillennial reign of Christ. You have to believe in the Eucharist. You have to believe in infant baptism or adult baptism. No, that's all stuff we as people throughout the history of Christianity have put these hard lines in the sand of saying yay or nay. But really what it comes down to is if you read, if you, fin- if you get through this book, of the Bible, and you're not motivated, you're not moved to be in community with your neighbor to help your neighbor out, then you've missed the whole entire point of what Jesus is trying to say. And I and I remember who I said this to the other day, I forget who, but I was like, How often of us have been told in the church, it's it's you know, Jesus died and I have a personal relationship with him. He's my get-out-of-hell card. I'm going to spend eternity with him hooting and hollering and praising Jesus up in heaven. That's a lot of what we were taught, especially in the evangelical world. But what I always put back, push back, and I'm like, Jesus didn't necessarily die for our sins. And people are like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? I said, if you look in the Bible and you look to see who killed Jesus, and I was always told... You killed Jesus, Brian, because of your sinfulness. Curtis, you killed Jesus because of your sinfulness. Or Amanda, you killed Jesus because of your sinfulness. No, who killed Jesus was the religious people of his day. The Pharisees, the Jewish elite, the Jewish priests. They killed Jesus because they were usur- he was usurping their power. It was Rome that killed Jesus because... He he didn't necessarily badmouth them to their face, but it was kind of like said all these snide comments after a couple years. They were like, hey, this guy really doesn't like us. And so when I tell people, we've made it into this salvific, insular, me, 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 me faith, and that is a lot of what a lot of countries are, me, me, me first. But Jesus was a refugee and I preached a couple of weeks ago, Jesus wasn't a colonizer. Jesus, the historical Jesus, was a refugee. He wasn't even accepted in his own country. Um, He actually, you know, stepped away from his parents for a while after he was like, you can't handle what I'm (laughs) I'm saying. And it's all these things. And once you just kind of get back through the, peel back the, the bullshit, I would say, in these portions of scripture and or how you were taught you start to realize that christianity jesus is a way more beautiful thing than what we were ever taught it's it's a it's a new way of living and i and i was just telling my sister-in-law yesterday i said i look at christianity and the teachings of jesus could there be self-ific stuff? And they're like, yeah, that's not my concern. If, if somebody believes that, I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong. But I said it's a way of living. It's a philosophy. It's an ideology. And I think it's an ideology, and I think it's, it's a philosophy that is worth exploring, and why I think I will never, ever get sick and tired of talking about it, because it's a philosophy that has been going around for over 2,000 years, and people are still, still enamored with it and are, are like, I want to try to get to this base level of what this means. I thought this talk was going to be a lot shorter, but, you know, you get into it, you get into it, right? So, to wrap it up, I'll say this. True faith, and, and I, I was thinking of what to label this talk, but true faith is taking these words and the teachings of Jesus, I'm not saying that you're not going to have doubt. I'm not saying your doubt's good. I'm not saying you're going to have suffering in your life, you're going to have hurt, you're going to have heartache, you're going to have ups and downs, valleys and hills and all these things. And that's what makes us human beings. But at the end of the day, if and I'm speaking specifically to people who, classify themselves as a f- faith person, not necessarily even a Christian, but a faith person. But I can also, this is also to people who are agnostic, atheistic, is saying this, Jesus did not preach salvific things. And people are going to come back, and I'm sure I'm going to get some comments and questions yeah, yeah, he most certainly did. But I think at the core of what Jesus was saying is like, you want eternal life with me? You need to do these teachings that I've done. I've laid this out. I've laid it out. I've said this for the last three years. My disciples have told you this. Is you want to have a true relationship with me, you have to love your neighbors. You have to love your wit- the widows, the orphans, those people who are less fortunate than you. Because taking care of one another is a fundamental human need. We all need to be taken care of roof over our head, food in our bellies, water, um, all that stuff. And I feel like in the church it's become so me, 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 my relationship, my relationship with God. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people they are like, well, my faith is personal It's just to myself and I don't have to talk to anyone else about it. I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Because your faith is a communal thing. We're in this together in life. And True faith to me is taking these teachings and message of Jesus and mim- and mimicking them in order so that one day a person should look at any of us here watching or live or listening and saying, I don't I know this person believes in just Jesus because of the way they live. They don't have to tell me they go to this church or they believe believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It should be like, I know that this person believes in Jesus call them a Christian or whatever because they're literally taking these these teachings, this philosophy that Jesus has, they're internalizing and then bringing forth these teachings to everyone else. And I'm reading a book right now that one of my atheistic friends told me about and it's kind of funny because in there they're talking about like all religion can be toxic and all religion, if it's not Done in the way that this the the leader of it says, you know, should should uh, should do it, and like, and what you're finding is, it was this Catholic priest that is one of the, uh, not going to be antagonists, but one of the characters, and this this guy B is his name is just B in this book, and he's kind of going through there, and he was like, but you have to like we're in the he kept saying we're in this together as humans regardless of our creed our religion or whatever and this priest at the beginning on of the book he's just like he's not getting it it's like well right but you have to believe in this god or these gods and you have to do this and this person B is like no it's about being in community with one another it's about understanding that we need this new mentality or this new way of thinking and I'm reading it as a Christian, and I'm like, yes! That's exactly what it is. It, like True faith is taking these messages of Jesus and is like, this isn't for myself. This is for all of us. And we need to go out, all of us need to, to go out into our communities and be better people to our neighbors. Because if we don't, we're just it, we're going to come back 20 years now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, and it's still going to be the same shitty thing that it's always been, is because our faith has become so insular, so personal. And just look, anybody here watching or live, just go through Scripture. Look Look at how many times Jesus and the disciples and Paul and other people are like, you need to go out. Go out. And not even say, like, you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's the thing that people don't realize. It never says that. In the Bible, never, not once, does it say you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We, as the church, have made that declaration and put those words in God's mouth. And more faith, true Christianity, what to believe in Jesus is taking these messages of Jesus, taking this philosophy and ideology of Jesus, and saying, Here, you know what to do, now you go and do it. And we sucked at that. Some some are not sucking, but we sucked at that. So, that's all I'm going to say. Hopefully, this has hit home for some people watching. It's hit home for me. Um, I'm going to turn it over if anybody has questions. I don't think a lot of people wa- were watching today, which is fine. But, Curtis or Amanda, do you have anything you want to say? Okay. So... Everyone, enjoy um, your weekend. Enjoy the weather if it's good or whatever. We're coming. I'm looking out the back door of this theater where we're at, and it's nice and sunny. So, we'll probably go for a walk or do something. But just, you know, just enjoy yourself. Be nice to everyone. Be kind. Um, please join us, you know, probably here at least through the end of June, maybe into July. We're going to be digging into James. This, I don't know why it would be a controversial book, but to a lot, it's controversial. Um, so yeah, everyone have a good week. Um, be kind to one another, love one another and take care of the widow, orphan and the poor till next time. Bye everyone.